0: Alright, uh, how's it going? You just have a good break in the holidays? Yeah. I've missed youth group and I've missed you guys. That's good to be back. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. Nah. Coming back tonight's been sick, loving it. Now, uh, uh exciting news, my wife's pregnant, so I'm having a baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and she's also embarrassed now. That's good. Um, yeah, so that's pretty cool. That's good. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, uh, another cool thing is that yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I just had a holiday a couple of weeks ago, and it was a really good holiday. And the reason that I reckon this holiday was such a good holiday is um, this is less exciting, but that's all right. Uh, the reason this holiday is such a good holiday is because I had everything that I could ever possibly need. To have a good holiday, I was pretty pumped for this holiday uh, before I went away. So leading up to, so I was getting like super organised and just plotting and planning for this time away. Um, like, what would you guys take away on a holiday if you had time to plan it? What would you be taking? You take clothes, yes, yeah, that's, that's obvious. Yeah, you take clothes. You take what are you doing? What are you taking? Surfboard, surfboard. yeah, you definitely take your surfboard. You take clothes and a surfboard, friends, friends and and your family. <laughs> You take your Nick Boyle, yeah? Yep, sure. Is that all you've got? Well done. All right, what's that? Books. Take books. Nice. All right, here's what I took, right? I was pumped for this holiday, so I took books. I took fr- I took my wife, and she's also my friend, so I took a friend. Um, I took my surfboards. Um, I, like, took my Xbox, and I was like, all right, this is going to be good. I'm going to get to play some Xbox because I'm always busy, but on holidays I won't be. And then I'm borrowing all these games off friends so I'd have games to play on the Xbox. And then I was like, well, I want to get there and have, like, a dodgy holiday house TV. So I took, like, a sweet computer monitor to play the Xbox on. And then, like, I was like, now, I don't want Lyndall to be bored. And so I've got to make sure she's bringing some fun stuff. So I brought, like, her sewing machine and whatever she's doing. Like, I brought stuff for her to do while I'm also doing stuff. Brought my surfboards. bought fishing gear. bought snorkeling gear. Brought, like, a bootload of um, board games. Like, I just... Packed the car full of so much junk. We, we were watching a DVD. Sh- uh, we were watching a TV series, Friday Night Lights, and we had one season to go. And I was like, I'm going to stop watching this show in advance so that there's a season of it to watch on my holiday. Like I was so prepared for this holiday, it was ridiculous. And by the time we got there, it was a sick time having heaps of fun. But some lady came to clean the house while we we're on holidays, like in the middle of the holiday. We didn't know she's coming. She was rocked up and was like, I'm here to clean. And we went, Oh, oh, and this is awkward. And she goes there's so much stuff here. I've never seen so much stuff in my life. Like her job is to clean holiday houses and she was like, what the heck, you've brought so much stuff on holidays. And so it was a good time and it was a little bit embarrassing when that cleaning lady came, but there it is. <laughs> Having everything you need means you can have a good two-week holiday, right, if you've got what you need for a holiday. Imagine, though, if you could have everything that you need for all of life. No exceptions. Everything you need for the rest of your life. Believe it or not, that's the promise that God makes to his people in the book of 2 Peter. Peter, the apostle, is writing to, the, to, a, church, to a whole bunch of churches, actually, and challenges are coming. Um, hard stuff's going on. False teachers are rising up and they're going to try and lead them and, into all sorts of dodgy stuff. Um, life is hard and they're waiting for Jesus to come back and they're like, man, why hasn't he come back already? What's going on? This sucks. And in that context, when life is hard and all these things are going on, God makes this promise into Peter. In Jesus, you have everything that you need for your entire life. Everything. That's a huge call. Just think about how good that is, if that is true. I don't reckon we we realise how good that is. Today, as we dig into this passage, I want us to see how crazy good that promise is and to be blown away by it and to see that right now in the past and the present and future, we have everything that we need in Jesus. That's awesome. Now, Todd's already prayed, so we'll just plough into this passage. Now, one important thing to get our heads around before we do do that is that, um, (laughs) do do, is that there's a difference between us thinking what we want and God knowing what we need. This passage doesn't promise that God will give us whatever we want or whatever we think we need. This passage promises that God, who knows us better than we know ourselves, he, looking after us, will give us everything that we need. First thing this passage promises is that in Jesus, we have everything that we need for salvation. That's the first big thing. Check it out, verses 1 and 2. Simon Peter, this is the guy writing it, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So it says there that they, the people receiving this letter, have received a faith. It is as precious as ours. That's a weird way of saying it, yeah? It's a bit of a funny thing to say to people. Who's saying that? Remember from verse 1, it's the apostle Peter, servant of Jesus and an apostle. Now Peter is, uh, if you don't know much about the Bible, Peter is, um, he was one of Jesus' close mates and then after Jesus died on the cross and then rose again, Jesus like appointed Peter to be, His messenger in the world. Him and the other apostles were to be kind of Jesus' voice to the world, to represent Jesus in the world. And so Peter's like an impressive person in the history of Christianity. He's a big deal. And so Peter is saying to these other Christians, your faith is as precious as ours, the apostles. Now, how does that work? How does it work that the legendary apostle Peter has a faith that's just as precious as any other Christian's? The reason he can say that is that the Christian faith that you have if you are a Christian is not something that you've kind of made happen yourself. It's not something that you've been really good at or developed some really strong faith and so therefore you've got this really good faith and it's really valuable. It's not based on what you've done. It's something that has been actually been given to you just like it was given to Peter. And so he can say your faith is just as valuable as, as mine. And it has the same result for Peter that it has for us and it had for these guys in this letter. The result is eternal life for anyone who has faith in Jesus. And so he straight off the bat goes, to those who have been given by God a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace to you from God. That's huge. I had a mate at school um, and we were talking on the bus one time on the way home about basically Christian becoming a Christian and all that kind of stuff. And she said to me, this sounds really good, Jono, and I, I really want to be a Christian, but I just don't have your faith. I wish I did, but I don't have faith like you, so it's just never going to be me. That was a weird statement. I didn't really know what to make of that at the time, but it's crazy because she's basically saying, I wish I could be a Christian, I want to be, but you've got this faith thing that I don't have so I can't be that and that sucks. But that isn't how it works. Faith in Jesus isn't about how good you are at faith and you having some great faith and so sweet, you're, you're, you're set. It doesn't matter whether you've got a weak faith or a strong faith or, or whatever. It's not about that. It's about what your faith is in. And if your faith is in Jesus, that's all you need. It doesn't matter whether you think it's weak or strong or anything else that's all you need and the result is eternal life a faith as precious as the Apostle Peters I reckon some people think that Christianity becoming a Christian this is a not a great illustration but some people think that becoming a Christian is a little bit like going on a diet or something like a health kit and so you're like yeah those Christians they're the ones who are kind of healthy with their whole life basically you know and so and so you imagine it's like hard work and you're doing the right things, eating the right food, whatever, and exercising and doing this hard work until you become a thing that's called a Christian. You make yourself what you want to be as a Christian. But that's not really the picture. <laughs> the picture of becoming a Christian is like getting a voucher for free liposuction. It's a bit crude. But you just, <laughs> it's like, here's a voucher for liposuction. And you just go, sick, thanks. <laughs> and you, and you just, you're just who you should be. That's it. It's done for you. It's just a free gift. It's not hard work till you're a Christian. It's go, i got nothing, I'm going to trust Jesus, I'm a Christian. That's it. And the result is a right relationship with God and eternal life forever. That's that's how you become a Christian. It's awesome. And so here's what this means straight away. If you want to become a Christian, man, I, I pray that it's not... Not, It's not a hard thing for you to get your head around. I pray that it's so obvious at either youth what you need to do to become a Christian. Just, just tell Jesus you're trusting him. Put your trust in his death for you and that's that. It's done. In Jesus, we have everything that we need for salvation. It's already ours. But what's more, not only do we have everything that we need for salvation, the second promise in this passage is that in Jesus, we have everything everything that we need for life and godliness now we have everything that we need check out verses three and four it's amazing his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness that's a huge promise how does that work how does it work that as Christians we have everything we need for life and godliness? That's a big call. Man, there's some kids screaming out there. How are the neighbours doing? Yeah. Um, first of all, for life. How does it work that we have everything we need for life? I reckon his logic as he says that is kind of building off what he said in verses 1 and 2. So he's just explained that if your faith is in Jesus, you've got something that is so precious, it's just awesome, it's as good as it could be. And then he says, and so in Jesus, you have everything that you need because the reality is (laughs) when you really boil down life and our existence, all that we really, really need is to know Jesus, to have that relationship with God and be right with him. And if we've got that, that is good and that is actually all we need. You could die tomorrow and it wouldn't matter. That is all you need. If you know Jesus and you have a relationship with God, there's a song by Justin Bieber. Um, uh, I, I've never listened to a whole Justin Bieber song through, but um, Hazy showed me this the other day. And it turns out Justin Bieber's like a man now. I don't know when that happened, but he turned into a man and it freaked me out. Um, but has anyone seen that new song, seen a video for it, or heard the song, As Long as You Love Me? Who's heard that? Yeah. All right. Just quietly, I was actually surprisingly impressed by this song. It was a lot better than anything I'd seen before. But anyway, here's how the song goes. Uh, as long as, he says, as the chorus is. This is, this is, this is a, a communication barrier for us, isn't it? I'm Justin Bieber, and he's like, oh, no, so Yeah, Again, this is how it goes. As long as you love me. We could be starving. We could be homeless. We could be broke. As long as you love me. I'll be your platinum, I'll be your silver, I'll be your gold as long as you love me. And so our little Justin Bieber's all grown up and what he's saying basically is that as long as he has the love of this girl, doesn't matter what else is going on in his life, he doesn't even care, he could be homeless, hobo on the street, as long as she loves him, that's all he needs. Now that's not what this passage is saying, but Peter here is saying as long as you have Jesus, that's all you need. And it isn't just some empty, silly pop song. Peter's serious. As long as you have Jesus, that is all you need. And so, guys, if you are a Christian, if your trust is in Jesus, you literally do have everything that you need for life now. Life could be hard right now. Maybe it's going good. I don't really know what's going on in your life. But either way, if you're a Christian, there is nothing that can touch the hope that you have in Jesus, whether life's good or bad or in between. Jesus is enough. See, our joy in life, when we pin it to other things, can be really, really vulnerable. If we pin our happiness to a HSC mark or that girl or that guy or Earning enough money to buy that thing or getting this job or whatever it is. You take anything and you try and make that the thing that will make me happy and trust in that. And it can be taken from you. And so often it will be taken from you or it will disappoint you even if you get it. Jesus can't be taken from you if your trust is in him. Because he's God, his promises are secure and they're kept in heaven for us where nothing's going to touch it. And so we have everything we need if we're a Christian. But that's not all because did you catch the other word there? He says we have everything we need for life and godliness. God provides for our godliness somehow. Now, godliness just means uh, means being like God in the way we live, living a life that is godly, that is holy. And that's a hard thing to do. I reckon we can often find ourselves thinking about the challenge before us, seeing what God's called us to do as we live as Christians, and, you, and you'll honestly ask yourself questions like this. You'll go, is it really possible that someone could, like, go through their whole teenage years, right through that, and go out the other side and get married, and never once kind of mess around a little bit with sex? Is it possible to actually be godly all the time like that? Is it possible to go through high school in a non-Christian school or a school that's called a Christian school but doesn't really make a difference how people live, and and never get drunk with my mates on the weekend when that's all they're doing and partying and doing other crazy stuff? Can I never get caught up in that and never step out of line and actually always be godly? Can I really love people all the time? Even when there's these people in my life who have been jerks and doing all this stuff to me and it's really hard, can I love them always, all the time, perfectly? We look at the challenge and we go, man, I don't think this is even possible. It just seems ridiculous. Well, look at what this passage is saying. Unless God is a liar, he's saying we have everything we need to be godly in Jesus. There's nothing missing. We've got what we need. Now, how does God do that? How does he actually equip us? What does he give us to to help us to be godly? What it says there that we have everything we need to be godly through our knowledge of him who called us. Knowing God leads to being godly, a knowledge of God. And so if you're a Christian and you're having a hard time uh, to be godly and live your life following Jesus, which will pretty much be most of yours. Um, If you're having a particularly hard struggle right now, though, or you can think of times when you have been, are you reading God's word? Are you coming to know Jesus better in his word? Because according to this, that's what God has given us to, to, to grow us to be more godly. I reckon when we're struggling with this sin or that sin or whatever it is in our lives, I reckon the thing that we'll often do is we'll be like, ah, I don't know, whatever it is, getting drunk, ah, oh, I hate this thing and this is a real struggle of mine and I don't know how to deal with this thing. And so we'll be like, oh, and we'll be like eyeballing it and we'll make ourselves like accountability partners and make all these plans and schemes. and like We'll do all sorts of things and we'll be kind of focusing in on trying to conquer this thing that's kind of getting under our, sin, under our skin as a Christian. Here's an experiment that I reckon all of us should do as we struggle with sin in our lives. Still do that stuff, still pay attention to your sin and and do accountability and all that kind of stuff. But instead of making your focus your sin, make your focus to know Jesus better. Wholeheartedly give yourself to that. Literally say, I'm struggling with this sin, but man, I haven't been reading my Bible in weeks. Well, stop focusing on the sin just focus on digging into God's word, praying and asking God to help you, digging into God's word and get to know Jesus better and I reckon you'll be blown away by what happens over a couple of weeks, as just over a couple of weeks and then for the rest of your life as you give yourself to knowing Jesus better. That is what will cause you to grow and be godly. So knowledge of God, knowing God better, knowing Jesus better helps us to be godly. How does it do that, though? How does actually knowing Jesus better lead us to be godly? I reckon it works on a bunch of levels, but I think verse 4 points to one key way in which knowing God better leads us to be godly. Knowledge of God gives us everything we need to be godly because, here's the third point tonight, last one, because in Jesus we are promised everything we need for the future. That's how God does it. Check out verse 4. You might have read this in your G-teams of it's a It's a funny verse. Verse 4. Through these, through Jesus' goodness, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, through the promises, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption uh, in the world caused by evil desires. Sorry if this is a bit complicated, but we'll plough through it. Some funny stuff in there yet. Divine nature, escaping the corruption of the world. What does it actually mean to do that? Um, Like, is is God like you? If you do these things, you'll get superpowers and you'll be divine. Like, it's not that, or I'm pretty sure it's not that. There's some options of what it could be, but I reckon to um, participate in the divine nature just means being like God, resembling God in your character Being holy like he's holy, loving like he loves. And so we end up resembling God and so we escape the ungodliness and corruption in the world. The more we become like God, the less we become like God. I think that's what's going on there. So how did God's promises, his precious promises, verse 4, lead to this growing in godliness? How does that work? I reckon chapter 3 kind of fills out what it looks like. Come over to chapter 3 in 1 Peter and look here. Because it's a similar logic, but he spells that a bit more clearly. Chapter 3 of 2 Peter. Sorry, not 1 Peter. 2 Peter, chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Check this out. I think he's going to tell us what the promise is and tell us how it works. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found now, now, spotless and blameless and at peace with him. So did you catch what the promise was, first of all? What was it? What was the promise? It was the hope of what? There's the, fo- there's the hope of heaven in the future, the, the home of righteousness, he calls it. And that will be the place where the corruption in the world isn't there. It'll be new, different, new heaven, new earth, better, gone old way now, new heaven in future type thing. That's the promise that's coming. Now, I don't know about you guys, but and sometimes as I live in this world, I get pretty sick of um, just living in this world that's full of sin. People who are sinful do stuff that that hurts me and that sucks. But man, worse than that, me who is sinful do stuff to other people and I hate hurting other people in my sin. I hate offending my God as I live in this world and sin. But the promise here is he's saying that there's a time coming when all of that will be gone and you'll be in heaven in the the home of righteousness where sin is is done for, it'll be sweet, it'll be perfect, it'll be done. And so he says, after reminding them in verse 13, that's coming, he says, so now, as you're waiting for that, remember these promises and live spotless and blameless lives now. Because of what's coming in the future, because of what's already yours and already been given you, live this way now, because one day you'll be rescued, sin will be dealt with and done forever. And so live this way now. Because if there was no promise of a future without sin and a future where we're in heaven with God, if that wasn't coming, then what would be the motivation for, for even bothering to keep on fighting now? What would it matter? If it was never going to end, if it was never going to change, if there was no hope for the future, what, why even keep on going? But we do have this promise. There's a guy called Viktor Frankl. Has anyone heard of Viktor Frankl? No one has, that's right. Viktor Frankl was a psychologist who lived through the Holocaust in Germany, the Nazi Holocaust. Uh, And he was in a prison camp and he made it out the other side. He survived. But while he spent time in a prison camp as a psychologist, he observed all the people around him and some of those people suffered under the Nazis, this horrible stuff, and they died. And other people suffered and, and lived on and fought on and made it out the other side and survived. And after he came out of the the German prison camp, he wrote a book about the things that he noticed while he was in the prison camp. And here's the big thing that he worked out. The ones who were able to keep going and make it through were literally the ones who had something to live for outside of that prison camp. So if they knew that their family was dead and, and all hope was lost and really didn't really matter whether they lived through this or not because once they got out, there was nothing on the outside that even mattered to them. Those people just gave up. They didn't care. Who cares? Why keep on fighting? Why fight to live another day? Why make sure that I look after my medical problems or eat food? doesn't really matter. i got nothing to live for anyway. But for the people who had family or some sort of unfinished business or some purpose beyond the walls of the prison camp, Those people held on to that and so fought a day and a day and a day and kept on going because they knew that there was something beyond the prison camp that was worth living for. Now, guys, I don't know how you're going in life right now, but compared to what heaven will be like, this life is a little bit like a prison camp. Sometimes this life is going to be hard. It's going to be struggles. At the very least, if you're a Christian Life will be hard solely because you need to keep on living, fighting sin. If nothing else goes wrong, that will still be hard. The thing that will keep us going through all of that is these precious promises that he talks about in verse 4. One day you'll be in heaven, spotless, perfect, rid of the sinful body. Revelation 21, verse 4 says that God will wipe every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more death nor mourning, nor crying or pain, because the old way of things will be gone. That is coming. And so cling to those promises now. Remember the hope that you have for the future now as you live your life, as you face temptation. The stuff that's coming your way will seem like rubbish compared to the hope in the future if you cling to the promises that God has made you in his word. That's good news. Now, guys, if you're not a Christian, I reckon what to do with this is pretty simple. Here's the point that I want you to get out of this. What Jesus is offering you is very, very good. It's awesome. Jesus is offering you everything you need for salvation now to be saved. You just have to accept the free gift. And you might be like, well, accepting a free gift is one thing, but I look around and I, don't, I know I can't live like a Christian like these other people in my life who are Christians do. You might think like that, but not only does he offer salvation, the promise is that he'll give you everything you need to live a godly life following Jesus. You may feel like you're not up to it, but Jesus has got your back and he'll give you what you'll need. Salvation, to live as a Christian, and everything you need into the future. And so what would stop you from becoming a Christian? That's my question for you tonight, and you might have good reasons. Talk talk to me or someone else about it, but I don't know what would be stopping you. But if you are a Christian, guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at what you have in Jesus. Count your blessings that are already there. Cherish it, love it, and let that shape the way you live now because of what you have in Jesus. That's awesome. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that we do have everything that we need in Jesus. Father, I pray that you would shape us as people more and more so that we realise the things we need are are the things that you've provided us with and that more and more we would fall in love with those things and and not the other things that we want to build our lives around. Father, thank you for salvation. Thank you for your provision in all of life. Thank you for the way you help us to be godly and, and the way you're growing us and thank you for the hope that we have in the future. Amen.